It's Elon Musk who is trying to save democracy. America, like information, like truth, wants to be free. Quote, The receptivity of the masses is very limited. Their intelligence is small. But their power of forgetting is enormous. In consequence of these facts, all effective propaganda must be limited to very few points and must harp on these in slogans until the last member of the public understands what you want him to understand by your slogan. End quote. Adolf Hitler. Quote, but if thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. End quote. George Orwell, 1984. When Jack Dorsey invented a chat-like social media platform with character limitations, he probably had no idea it would one day become the most powerful propaganda tool this country, this world, has ever known. The danger was always that any big tech platform, let alone three of the biggest, would one day be under the control of one political party. In 2020, the combination of lockdowns and violent protests of the summer and January 6th led to the mass formation of hundreds of millions of Americans under the thumb of what Matthias Desmond calls technocratic totalitarianism. What's fascinating to me is you were describing totalitarianism earlier, and now I think of the Nazi regime, I think of various communist regimes in the past, but we're not living in a totalitarian society here. But you're kind of saying that we are somehow. Well, of course, if, if you are talking about totalitarianism, you always think about communism and Nazism, uh, so the first totalitarian systems uh, that emerged uh, in history in the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, what you are dealing with now is not a communist or not a fascist totalitarianism. It is the emergence, I think, of a technocratic totalitarianism, a totalitarianism of which Merlo said uh, that it would start with velvet gloves. Uh, nobody would feel the emergence of a totalitarianism, which Hannah Arendt warned us for in 1950 one already, uh, when she was saying that uh, we had seen uh, fascist totalitarianism, we had seen communist totalitarianism, but she said, we are very soon, we will witness the emergence of a new totalitarianism, which is not led by gang leaders such as Stalin and Hitler, but by dull bureaucrats and technocrats. And that's uh, what is uh, about to happen now, I think. We see how very slowly, how very slowly, it goes quite fast now, I think, uh, how um, uh, the democratic rights disappear, how a certain ideology is imposed to society, how a, a certain ideologically colored narrative uh, is fanatically believed in by a certain part of the population, or at least that the population behaves as if the narrative is true, uh, and that it accepts that our civil rights uh, are suspended uh, uh, because of this narrative. Uh, we are heading for a new totalitarianism, and whether or not, or to what extent, this totalitarianism will succeed uh, in destroying uh, everyone who doesn't uh, want to go along with it, that will depend on what those people do uh, who are not in the grip of this totalitarian, new, new totalitarianism, of this new mass formation. Uh, and that's why I wrote my book, actually, to, to, uh, because I believe that uh, if, we under, if we really understand uh, the psychological mechanisms at work, if we make the right psychological analysis, we will also see very clearly uh, what we uh, shouldn't do and what we should do um, uh, if we want to keep open a certain small path on which 
the people can walk uh, that refuse to go along with this new uh, technocratic ideology. Why is Twitter so important? To quote the movie Jaws, when Quint tells Brody to toss more chum in the water to attract the shark, Brody says, let Hooper take a turn. And Quint says back, Hooper drives the boat, chief. Twitter drives the boat, chief. Twitter decides the media narrative. Twitter is the media, and the media is Twitter. Twitter decides which mass shootings, protests, crimes, and politicians matter, and which ones don't. Twitter can boost or destroy the individual who steps out of line. Twitter is big brother for the new left. Or at least until it was bought by a renegade pirate named Elon Musk. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a tweet by a guy named Hodge Twins that says, Of the five social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter, only one allows free and open speech, even if it goes against the media's narrative, Twitter. And it took a billionaire to buy it and fix things. Otherwise, there wouldn't be free speech on any platform. Scary. And Elon Musk writes back, True. It is Musk, not the Democrats, who is fighting for a more democratic America by bringing free speech and critical thinking back to Twitter and thus to the public discourse. That is the very definition of democracy. The Democratic Party doesn't really want democracy. They want total control. They were on their way to getting it before Musk's major victory in our ongoing virtual civil war. Twitter, in their shared delusions, has recast Musk as Vladimir Putin and themselves as Ukraine. I'm not kidding. That has led to an intensifying mass hysteria that will require an outside response by the big tech oligarchs and government officials, not to mention their robot army in the media. The White House is watching, CNN is reporting, and Twitter is throwing constant fuel on the raging wildfire. Apple is hinting at removing the Twitter app from its store, as a display of its monopolistic power. These big tech companies lured billions of us onto their platforms only to track us, steal our data, and eventually use that power to censor speech and silence dissent. That is not what democracy looks like. That is what fascism looks like, especially since they're all in the pocket of the administrative state. Most of them are, but not all. Netflix and Spotify have shown surprising strength in resisting their demands to purge Joe Rogan or Dave Chappelle, but Twitter was the jewel in the crown. Musk, like Trump, has now meddled with the primary forces of nature, and he will atone. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Bill, and I won't have it! Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal? That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. 
petrodollars, electrodollars, multi-dollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? If you do not vote for Democrats, you will lose your democracy, cried the Democrats. You will lose your democracy, said CNN. You will lose your democracy, said the New York Times. You will lose your democracy, said MSNBC. You will lose your democracy, said the actor on Instagram. You will lose your democracy, said the blue checks on Twitter. You will lose your democracy, said Barack Obama. You will lose your democracy, said the President of the United States. I'm voting to save democracy was repeated on social media across all platforms. They believe it because it was a story born on Twitter that grew into a narrative. You just have to clap to believe. Her voice is so low I can scarcely hear what she's saying. She says she thinks she could get well again if children believed in fairies. Do you believe in fairies? Say quick that you believe. If you believe, clap your hands. Clap louder. According to Gretchen Bussell, whoever controls the narrative has the power. So today I'm here to talk about stories. I'm here to talk about the role that stories play in shaping our values and our belief systems. I'm a narrative scholar. I study stories, how they work, how they affect our perceptions, right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about narrative theory today in order uh, for you to understand just how easy it is to manipulate us through stories. That mental framework, it's built on the stories that we are told. And yes, by our friends and our family, of course, but primarily through the stories that are sold to us, that are fed to us, right, by the mainstream media. We are storytelling animals. We love coherence. We love fidelity. That is why the media is able to tell us the same stories over and over again. In fact, we kind of like it when they do. She isn't talking about free speech or freedom to dissent. She specifically refers to the narratives that shape our perceptions of ourselves based on race and gender. This was six years ago, after all. But her basic premise still applies. Whoever controls the narrative has the power. The hive mind that aligns big media, big tech, big money with big government is telling its followers an ongoing story about a Shangri-La that once existed under Barack Obama. 
the nation's first black president. That utopia was invaded by a bad orange racist named Donald Trump, who kicked down the gated community and brought his deplorables into society and government. That fueled every story that followed. Trump became Goldstein in 1984. Quote, As usual, the face of Emmanuel Goldstein, the enemy of the people, had flashed onto the screen. There were hisses here and there among the audience. The little sandy-haired woman gave a squeak of mingled fear and disgust. Goldstein was the renegade and backslider who once, long ago, how long ago nobody quite remembered, had been one of the leading figures of the party, almost on a level with Big Brother himself, and then had engaged in counter-revolutionary activities, had been condemned to death, and had mysteriously escaped and disappeared. The program of the two minutes of hate varied from day to day, but there was none in which Goldstein was not the principal figure. He was the primal traitor, the earliest defiler of the party's purity. All subsequent crimes against the party, all treacheries, acts of sabotage, heresies, deviations, sprang directly out of his teaching. Somewhere or other, he was still alive and hatching his conspiracies, perhaps somewhere beyond the sea, under the protection of his foreign paymasters, perhaps even so it was occasionally rumored in some hiding place in Oceania itself. Their collective narrative, the story that connects them, is that they agree on their biggest threat. If they can agree on what scares them the most, they can be easily controlled to prevent that thing from entering their shared space. Their reaction to the Musk takeover of Twitter says it all. After all, they successfully banned the sitting president of the United States a display of absolute power, and Musk, with a wave of his mighty sword, just challenged that power by unbanning Trump's account. The story decides what can be defined as hate speech or mis-disinformation. It decides who is considered a dangerous threat and who is protected at all costs. It decides the media narrative every day and now to election cycles. Having that kind of outsized power to control the message takes us ever so close to technocratic totalitarianism. So you might think only a small number of people use Twitter. That's true. But it isn't how many people use the platform. It's who uses the platform. Mainly the empire's high-status influencers. They decide the narrative on Twitter, which stimulates a collective emotional response, then hits the major op-eds at the Times or the Post. Eventually, like swollen rain clouds, it trickles down into the lives of Americans who aren't plugged into the hive mind. It's blaring in the background at the airport as you fill up your gas tank on the cover of magazines while you check out your groceries, flooding your social media feeds, becoming a shared story for a shared community that no one dares reject. In other words, it's a narrative that has been decided for them by the people on Twitter but it changes how you think, what you buy, what you watch, and how you vote. Oh, okay, I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back, but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's not turquoise it's not lapis it's actually cerulean and you're also blithely unaware of the fact that 
In 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns. And then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. The narrative is everywhere. It's unavoidable. Controlling it is like controlling a port of entry for the free trade economy. If the internet is the new frontier, data and information is the new gold rush. You see, to them, they are democracy. If you question them, challenge them, defy them, you are a threat to democracy. Joining me now is the aforementioned Roger McNamee. He's the co-founder of Elevation Partners. As I said, he's an early investor in Google and Facebook. He is the author of the best-selling and important book, Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe. And he's an advisor for the group Stop Hate for Profit, a great friend to our show. Roger, good to see you again. Thank you for being with us this morning. Always a pleasure, Alex. People like you and me who dwell in this world, uh, journalists, politicians, some celebrities, uh, are all lamenting the idea that Musk is wrecking Twitter. Is it necessarily a bad thing that he's wrecking Twitter? Is it a, is it a bad thing that Twitter might actually disappear or, or sort of collapse? Ali, I think if Twitter actually disappeared completely, that probably would be a good thing for democracy. It'd probably be a good thing for public health and public safety. I think that's the least likely outcome. I think what Musk is doing is he's killing Twitter as we know it. And the reason that matters is that Twitter, while only maybe less than 10% the size of Facebook, less than a quarter the size of Instagram, it punches above its weight because it's the platform that politicians, journalists, and celebrities use. And so it has a disproportionate influence on our political conversations and on how people understand news. What Musk is doing is he's essentially going in and imposing his worldview. He's made the thing into a soap opera with himself as the lead character. And in the process, he's drawn an enormous amount of attention for himself, which is, I think, the the goal here. And he's doing it by basically just thumbing his nose at what was the Twitter establishment. And, you know, the harm of this is much less in what happens on Twitter than what happens with the data and who gets to control voices in this country. Because Twitter is a platform that's been open to all kinds of voices that are normally suppressed, even in a democracy. And those voices are being harmed here. So that's actually a point that people across the political spectrum... For podcast listeners, we're looking at a tweet from Glenn Greenwald that says, Over the last 48 hours, multiple liberal outlets, including the Washington Post, equate free speech with mass murder and blamed Elon Musk for large number of people soon to die, without including a single person who disagreed with this insanity. This was their main source. And he's quote tweeting A.G. Hamilton 29 that says, Um, wait, so the expert Washington Post NBC News Axios cited to justify the idea Elon Musk was allowing dangerous harassment on Twitter, and thus the platform should be restricted, used her Twitter to promote harassing Supreme Court justices? Sometimes the narrative backfires on them, 
Heading into the 2020 Democratic primary, Kamala Harris had bombed so spectacularly that she even lost California. But Harris, who had called Joe Biden a racist and suggested he was a serial harasser, was a star on Twitter. With a fandom called Hashtag K-Hive, that would viciously attack anyone who dared criticize her. When Lawrence Tribe said Harris should not be chosen for cosmetic reasons, he was universally condemned and attacked on Twitter, leading to sanctimonious op-eds in Politico and other outlets. A sniveling apology by Tribe was forthcoming. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a graphic from a story. Harvard professor apologizes for suggesting that Joe Biden picking a black running mate would be cosmetics. And he says... I've never doubted that racial identity is a significant variable in American government. The narrative then became that not choosing Harris would be both sexist and racist. Now they're stuck with a universally disliked candidate. Reality told them she wasn't the right choice. The narrative decided she was. It wasn't always like this. Before the 2016 election, Hillary's email story kept catching fire, driving the media to chase the story every time it dropped on Twitter, which made it too hot to ignore. The email story was the central focus of the media because it seemed like a mystery Hillary kept downplaying. Trump brought it up constantly. So did even Bernie Sanders. By the end, the narrative couldn't be controlled, and when she lost, many kept referring back to it as though some great crime had been committed a fiddling-while-Rome-Burns moment that even had a meme. The guilt from the election turned the media into obedient puppets for the Democrats. They would never again be blamed for helping elect a fascist and everything that came after that. Twitter had the upper hand in policing journalists to ensure they were always on point and not chasing any story that might hurt the Democratic candidates. They need Twitter to validate the official story. That is why they are in full-blown panic mode to shut Musk down or force him to comply. They want to destroy him and his power. Because technocratic totalitarians cannot abide by someone they can't control and speech they can't suppress. Lest we forget 1984, Goldstein tried to break through and bring back freedom through dissent and critical thinking. They called him an enemy of the state and used propaganda to demonize him in the eyes of the citizens. That is what Twitter had become. Their two minutes of hate decide who is good and who is bad, who gets to speak and who must be silenced. This is an ongoing war for the future of America. One road leads to totalitarianism, the other leads to freedom. Imagine a whole generation has come of age inside the platforms that Democrats control. In the run-up to the midterms, the Biden administration sent out a message to student loan borrowers asking for their contact information if they wanted relief. And as Hitler also once said, he who owns the youth owns the future. Even if they knew the pitch to relieve 10K of student loan debt was going to fall apart, it was still bait to attract desperate Zoomers who willingly handed over their data. Now they could be tracked and located making it much easier for the Democrats to target them specifically and bring them out to vote. We should not be that surprised they changed historical precedent. Now they're pretending they inspired the youth turnout, but really, the work was done for them by the people in this room. 
but Musk has become a plot twist in their grand plan. A knight in shining armor coming to our emotional rescue. Thanks to Musk, we can break down their control of the narrative and thus their oppressive hold on culture, media, and politics. And that is what democracy looks like. Thanks to Musk, at least for now, democracy is alive in America, even if the Democrats have done everything they can to eliminate it. Welcome to the fight, Mr. Musk. This time, I know our side will win. Thanks for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self, be true.
Savior, stay